Hey monkeys, what's going on? Today is Tuesday. It is the 19th of May, 2020. Let's do the contact info real quick, and then I'll fill you in on what's going on with the show today. So if you'd like to contact me, there's a couple of different ways that you can do so. There is the voicemail, which is area code 206-745-APE1. 206-745-APE1. Two seven three one. If you would rather send an email or if you would rather record your own audio and send that to me, I'd be happy to get that out on the show for you. The place to send that is thearmedape at gmail.com. All one word, thearmedape at gmail.com. If you go over to thearmedape.com, you'll find buttons for Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube, and I'd invite you to check those out. And if you like the show and ever felt so inclined to support it financially, there is a donation button on that page as well. So the audio on the show today, you're going to notice, kind of varies a bit. The first part of Radius I did way back in January of 2019, and I was in the mobile studio. The second part I did just a few days ago, and I was riding around on a bicycle, in the evening when it was nice and cool. Also, make sure to stick around at the end of the Radius review. I did do sort of a follow-up on some points that I wanted to make that I had, oh, got distracted and maybe didn't do for Dragged Across Concrete, which was the review that I did on the previous episode, show 103. So I hope you enjoy this. I would, Like I said, I would love to hear from you guys. I always enjoy hearing from you and getting your feedback. Let me know what you think of it. I don't know that I'll necessarily make a habit of doing the bicycle thing, but I thought, eh, what the heck? It's something a little different. All right, monkeys, enjoy the review. Hey, my monkeys, we are in the mobile studio. Let me go ahead and for this segment, we'll talk about a movie that I finished up yesterday. And it's an interesting movie. I don't think I'll bury the lead. I would say I'd go ahead and give it a shot. I'd recommend this one for you. Anyway, the name of the movie is called Radius. And I don't know if this is a Netflix original type thing or not. It had an interesting premise, and the premise is that you have this guy, and when anybody comes within 50 feet, within a 50 feet circle of this guy, they die. And it's not like they just drop dead. Well, it is they drop dead, but it's also what they look like. Their eyes go basically milky white, and they just drop. There's no there's no struggle there's no somebody gasping for breath or anything like that it is just instantaneous just boom like you snap your fingers and they are dead and a little bit of a well I guess I won't say a little bit of a spoiler we'll we'll hold off on that 
So I may veer from the format with this one a little bit. Um, normally what I do is I, I'll, I'll take you guys up a lot of times up to about the first act or so. And then uh, I'll say, okay, from here on out, if you, know, you want to go watch this movie and then come back, you can do that. Or uh, if you don't want spoilers, go ahead and bail out until, you, until you've seen this. And I, I don't know. I guess maybe I'll, I'll try and stick with that. We'll kind of see how this goes. So anyway, we have a guy, and we open with him. He's been in a car accident. It's at... Uh, I'm trying to think. Is it at night when he comes out of it or not? I can't remember. Anyway, he's all dazed and confused and stuff, and he kind of... He gets out and you see on the side of the truck it says like, you know, such and such landscaping or something like that. He starts uh, walking and as he gets up to the road, he starts walking down the road. He's kind of bloodied up in a little bit. He's, he's had a, you can tell he's had a, a, a pretty serious knock on the head. There is a car that is coming up behind him. He turns around, starts waving his arms, and as the car approaches, they put on their signal, like they're going to stop and maybe try and give him a ride, and as the, the car approaches, it just sort of kind of veers right past him and then goes off the side of the road into a ditch and stops. And so he goes up to it, and he's like, hey, what's going on? What's going on? And he opens up the, uh, the car door, and the uh, the female driver who is in there is dead. Well, I guess I'd say he discovers that she's dead. You know, he takes her pulse and stuff like that. He's like, you know, what's you know what's going on? He sort of looks in, and when he's looking in her car, he finds her phone. He picks it up and he dials nine one one. And he's like, hey, there's this lady. There's been an accident. I think she's dead. And they're like, okay, well, you know, where are you? And he's kind of like, uh. I don't know, I'm on the road outside of, you know, such and such a place. Then they're going, okay, sir, well, you know, what's your name? And he kind of pauses for a bit, and he realizes he doesn't know his name. And so he pats his pockets down, he finds his wallet, takes it out, and sees that his name is, I think it's Liam Hartwell. And then he just, he's kind of freaked out about it, and so he just hangs up the phone. He continues going down the road. He comes up to a diner, and as he goes into the diner, everybody in the diner is dead. Now, of course, at this point, you know, you and I know what's going on because we've seen the the premise of the movie. And it's one of those things where I think if you haven't it would be better if you didn't know that it was like everybody who comes in front of him or within that 50 foot radius just drops dead so he goes into the diner um, and then what he kind of thinks is well maybe there's like a weird virus maybe something's in the air because he gets like a rag or a handkerchief out of his back pocket he in the restaurant he noticed that there was a map like a local county map or something on the wall so he goes and he looks at that map and then he, which at first I didn't get when I first, um, he, and he ends up at this house. And Well, let me backtrack a little bit. So he finds this map. He's looking at this map. 
and then he heads off. And I don't know if I just wasn't paying him much, uh, as much attention as I should or they didn't really show it. And I think maybe they should have showed... Oh, I'm yelling a lot. Sorry, bros. And, and bras. I thought they, it would have been better had they showed him looking at his license and then looking on the map and sort of figuring out kind of where he is and then where his house is. Because he shows up to this house and he's knocking on the door and he's like, hello, hello. And then he goes around the back and he breaks in. And I'm thinking, oh, is you know what's going on here? And then later I realized, oh, no, that's his house. This is where he lives. What he did is he, he looked up his address from his uh, from his um, driver's license. And then so he goes there and he's at his house. And he's getting little bits and flashes of memory here and there. And on the news, what's happened is they're saying like, oh, you know, we found this woman dead, and then we found all these people at this restaurant dead, and then there's there's a bunch of panic because all the people are like, well, is this a virus? Is this a terrorist attack? What is going on? Eventually, they, they find his truck abandoned, and so they're kind of looking for him. They go out to his house. Well, when I say they, what I mean is the police go out to his house kind of looking for him and stuff. They... There was a guy across... He kind of lives a little bit out in the country, a little bit. There was a guy who was working on a farm, some farmland on a tractor. And he sees the guy, and then he's, like, banging on his window. And the guy's, you know, I don't know, probably 100 or so feet or so away from him. And then he holds up a sign, you know, like... Uh, and the guy, you know, when he's banging on the window, the guy just kind of waves at him, like, Hey, man, what's up? And then he writes on a... On a on a little sign, he writes, you know, go home, it's not safe outside. And the guy's kind of looking at him, and he's like, you know, what's going on? And he starts to approach him, and then as he approaches, he gets within that 50-foot circle, and then, of course, the guy just drops dead and rolls down this little embankment into this ditch. And, of course, at this point in the movie, Liam does not know that he is the cause. And at one point, he he figures it out because uh, well, that's another thing too. With the woman, the the woman who was going to give him a uh, stop and see what he needed. Uh, when he was there, uh, like a crow fell out of the sky when he was like looking at her car, and when he eventually got in her phone. And so I can't remember when he starts to figure out maybe it's him. He goes, and I think there's maybe like uh, some birds or there's something. I can't remember what it is. But there's something where he figures out if, if things get within a certain footage of me, they die. And so he goes out to his shed thinking, well, if somebody comes to the house, they won't maybe come back here or I can until I can figure out what's going on. Because he's freaked out now, especially that he thinks he's causing the death of all these people. He's really wigged out. Uh, the police come out to his house. Like I said before, the police come out to his house. There's a couple of them. And there's a, a male officer and a female officer. The male officer goes into the house. The female officer is going to go check around. And there's a bunch of birds in this tree. And as she approaches the shed where he's at, she is almost getting ready to break that 50-foot barrier. And as she is... 
as she's walking up, I think some birds like fly in and land on this tree. Well, they land in on the thing, and of course, all the birds drop dead. And then she notices this. She sees this before she gets within that barrier range, and she tells him, tells her partner, "Oh man, it's the same stuff is happening. We got to get out of here." So instead of me just sort of babbling on, kind of yapping about whatever stray thought pops into my head as I'm driving around here, let me think. What's a subject that I think I might uh, talk about a little bit? Oh, you know what I could do? This will be interesting. I'll do the rest of my Radius movie review. So let's jump in with that. All right, monkeys, I am on the old bicycle. I'm pedaling around. I am trying to do some different recording stuff. I'm trying out a different recording setup, I guess I should say. And what I have is I have in my pocket the Ederol. And I've rigged up a little bit of a foam windscreen and I'm driving uh, sort of up and down this one sort of stretch of road where there's hardly there's there's hardly anything on it so let's go ahead and we'll finish up with the review on radius now what had happened is an interesting thing is I had done just the first part of the segment but I hadn't completed it so I'd only gotten up to a certain point had done maybe about oh 10 minutes or so of it so let's see if I can finish this off. And when I did that segment, it was back in, I think, January of 2019. So it's, it's been quite a while. So I left off, I think, I think, talking about that the, uh, the guy, and I think his, his name is Liam, if I remember right. Anyway, he comes in contact this, with this woman, and when and she doesn't drop dead, so that they're trying to figure everything out. And realistically, the story you could tell that this was probably maybe designed as a short and got and got pushed out to uh, feature film length. Uh, because they're trying to figure things out. It turns out that this lady had a twin sister that went missing and that they suspected some type of foul play and she, you know, it, it, she was so distraught over it that she was going to kill herself and then Liam comes across her and, and this is prior to the accident that gave them superpowers of this, of this radius event. So the, and this is too where the storytelling kind of falls short a little bit. So I guess what we'll do is we won't go so much as far in chronological order. We'll just sort of talk about things. So basically what we find out is that Liam stops her from killing herself 
prior to the event happening where he basically loses his memory, he doesn't know any, who he is, all that type of stuff. And prior to having that radius, the radius, the death radius around him. Well, it turns out that Liam is a budding serial killer. And he had actually captured this, uh, this woman's sister and had killed her and had dumped her body in a lake. When they, when they do the team up, of course, he doesn't have really any memory of him doing that. You know, he feels maybe a, a connection or something like that. And so what happened is he comes across her when she's about ready to jump off a lake. Of course, he recognizes her and he gets, he sort of talks her down before she's able to commit suicide. He talks her down, gets her to get into his truck. And as they're driving, there's an accident and as they get out, there's a lightning strike or something and it causes this sort of cosmic event thing. So what he, so back when that happened, he was actually serial killer Liam. After the lightning strike, you know, they wake up and they're apart. Um, and eventually through a bunch of series of stuff, he, he comes to remember what happens and I can't remember if he tells her I think he does and there is an interesting thing here and it and one of the things that I found interesting about the movie and one of the reasons that I wanted to talk about it a little bit is it does have because this guy has amnesia and because he is, in essence, if he can't remember his past, he's sort of only going off of whatever sort of, oh, how do we want to say it? Sort of like baseline human moral code. Because it's, he has that media he doesn't remember, but he clearly knows the difference between right and wrong. And you actually see him, he's portrayed because especially, you know, we don't find this stuff out till the very end about the lightning strike and that he was a serial killer. So he is portrayed as, while he's, you know, a little manic at times and he's trying to figure stuff out, he's shown to be a, a nice, decent person. And you see that the two of them now, and I forget her name, but uh, the, the lady that he meets up with, whose sister he killed, she has a husband and, you know, he was trying to, the whole time, trying to get her to, you know, you got to come to grips with this. You have to be able to let go and move forward. And you have to accept that maybe, maybe there, you don't get any answers. Maybe we just don't know type thing. And of course, she doesn't want to accept that. And at the very end of the movie, in order to sort of stop this radius thing, and once he sort of remembers what he had done, now his, the aspects of his serial killer personality aren't coming back, it's just that he knows what he did. So I found that to be extremely interesting. So at the very end, because this is a big spoiler here, but we're in spoiler territory, at the very end he ends up uh, killing himself in part uh, to, 
to end this radius thing, but in part also to make up for the for the to atone, I guess I should say. Can't really make up for it, but to atone for his misdeeds. And at the end, even though she knows he was the one that killed her, there are questions. Out of traffic now. There are sort of questions of how do you judge this person because this person doesn't didn't really I mean they knew that they kind of had done it but it would be like if somebody I don't know like if you if you dragged up an old memory of something of when you were a kid and you know you would say well you know I'm a different person than when I was six years old and I did something that was bad. The question then becomes, who is, who is Liam? Is he this new person? Because he doesn't really, he's not the same personality. So it would be similar, you know, and so, and, and before we, I jump off a little bit. So from her perspective, you would say, well, even though maybe she kind of knows, she also knows this guy doesn't really have a memory she because partially she didn't have a memory either but she knows that he sort of finds the whole thing abhorrent um, but she also knows that oh you're a different person so it would almost be like if somebody set the reset button on you and you, you know how to speak english and you know you know to speak your i mean your native tongue and you know sort of social customs and stuff like that but you don't really have memories of or life experiences which is kind of weird because then you would think well how would your brain retain how would your how would you know sort of what the moral and ethical codes are of your society but it's a you know it's an interesting thing so i found that to be kind of a fascinating thing and sort of this, it kind of ties into the deal of, you know, redemption. And we've talked about that with some of the other movies and things that we've done in the past. And you would say, well, you know, would there, would there be redemption for Liam? Could he have sort of a normal life? And he had kind of asked himself that question and kind of came up with the answer is, no, I need to pay for what I what I did I need to sort of balance the scales and at the end of the day she I think could accept him you know so it, it again it goes into thing about redemption for a person forgiveness being able to forgive things like that holy moly's man there's a lot of cars right now So anyway, hopefully this segment will be somewhat usable. If it is not, I will uh, I'll re-record some of this stuff, but hopefully it'll be decent enough when I listen to it. And maybe I can boost it enough or do some stuff in editing where it won't be too bad. So in short, I would give 
radius a definite thumbs up and I know that kids playing with fireworks or something over there sounded like a gunshot almost but uh, in fact I know the kid is over there <laughs> messing around but anyway if you've seen it let me know I, I, I can't remember if it's still on Netflix or not or maybe I saw it on some other thing but you could probably find it out there somewhere but I would recommend you watch it I think it's good also with this one I did uh, again the uh, follow-up or a little what do you want to call it a little extra bit on um, dragged across concrete so I think what I'm gonna do though is I am still maybe gonna do a actual outro so this segment is coming to an end thanks for going on the bike ride with me monkeys what is going on it's the elegant ape uncle silverback the other day when i was editing for the show where i reviewed dragged across concrete i thought of some other points that maybe i had kind of failed to talk about and there were things that i wanted to talk about and i think maybe because i had sort of taken a break in the middle and then came back to it. My sort of train of thought was interrupted a little bit. And then also some of the things that I had in my mind before to talk about just kind of didn't get there. So I am in the mobile studio and I do have the AC going. It's almost eight o'clock at night and I'm having to wait around a little bit. So I knew I was going to be here, brought my stuff with me. You may hear the AC going because it is about 92 degrees right now and I don't want to roll down the windows. So you may hear a little bit of that. Now this will contain a little bit of spoilers and so the show that I'm attaching this to should be the show called Radius or the movie called Radius that I watched a while back and that was actually one of the bank shows which I probably have already talked about in the intro. And at this part, I think this will kind of follow behind in the spoilers. And I will sort of have another thing, too, where I'm able to drop in a thing talking about, oh, I'm going to re-up, or maybe this, will, maybe this will serve as that. I'm going to talk about a couple of points that I wanted to make with Dragged Across Concrete, but it will still be spoiler-heavy. So if you have kind of stumbled onto this... At this point, maybe go ahead, turn it off, come back to it a little bit later. Here we go. We're jumping in. And again, spoiler heavy with this stuff. A couple of things that I wanted to talk about, and I guess I would call it maybe the, I don't know if I would say the emotional state of, the, of some of the characters or maybe some of the inner turmoil that I didn't really talk about 
because I was thinking about it, I was thinking, well, how do I describe this? Is it more of an arc? Because with some of these guys, they don't have an arc, and some of them do. Some sort of remain the same thing as we're, the way that we're introduced to them is how that, uh, at the end of the movie, they're still that same person. And if we think too about it, I also wanted to talk about the similarities between what we'll call, I guess, cops and robbers, for lack of a better term. Those four men and how the cops, the two men with Ridgeman and Anthony, sort of what their relationship is and the relationship between Henry and Biscuit and how, in a lot of ways, they're very similar. So I guess maybe we'll, we'll sort of jump in with that first. Now, I thought that if you look at both Ridgeman and Henry... You see two guys that are kind of thinking about things, and especially if we use maybe the analogy of chess moves. These guys are able to look four or five, maybe six moves ahead, and they are able to do it kind of in, in different ways. I think that maybe Henry tries to uses maybe past experiences or the past experiences of other people and tries to say, okay, well, if, if A happens, then I better do B. If, if B happens, then I better do C. Or I better be ready to do those things. And so I think that Ridgman, and especially if we look at some of the dialogue, and I know I kind of ragged on the dialogue a little bit before, but if we look at some of the dialogue that Ridgman has when he's with when he's with Anthony and they're they're talking about certain things. Anthony is always asking him, well, what do you think this is? Do you think this is going to happen? And then Ridgman will say, oh, it's 75% they're going to turn left. 25% they're going to go straight, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so you see that Ridgman sort of has the same with Henry. They have sort of that analytical mind that weighs stuff out kind of, and especially with Ridgman, he, he really sort of puts things in percentages of there is, again, let's say uh, a 30% chance that this is going to go bad and a 70% chance that it's going to go good. So I will go ahead and base my decision on that 70% chance or that 70% chance informs how I'm going to act. And I think with Henry, with maybe a little bit of a conversation with Biscuit and how he has Biscuit do certain things, in essence, with the guns. How he has him say, okay, get these guns, have them wrapped in cellophane, and basically we're going to stash them in, in these vehicles that we're going to be in. So in case we're disarmed or in case something goes wrong, then we'll, we'll actually have, we'll have some more options. And I, I don't think that Anthony and Biscuit, I don't think that those guys do that or if they do, if they do kind of think in those terms, they don't do it to the level that Ridgman and Henry do. And, and it's not, and, and again, these guys are, they're both, you know, you have the partners on with, with both these guys. And I think they are, for the most part, they're equal. They treat each other as equals. But at the end of the day, if you had to say, well, who is maybe going to, have the final say or the or call maybe the final shot it's probably going to be Ridgman and it's probably going to be Henry because Biscuit is going to defer to Henry and 
Anthony is going to defer to Ridgeman. And we see that sort of we see that sort of play out. And we see that when maybe things are kind of going wrong and they do it differently, but they they both kind of talk their partners down. And we also see there are similarities with Henry and Ridgeman where they they feel a a sense of obligation to their to their partners and to their friends and when when uh, Anthony dies you know right before he dies you know Mel Gibson or uh, Ridgeman excuse me is saying to him hey I'll make sure that you are not part of this how he's going to do that I don't know whether you know it makes it it, that that's all irrelevant. And then you see another thing where when Henry had buried the three bodies, so after Ridgeman is dead, Anthony is dead, Biscuit is dead, he buries them kind of in a shallow grave out behind this little group of trees or something kind of out in the woods. And what he tells Biscuit is, in form kind of, of a, a eulogy, he says, hey, when all this stuff settles down, I will come back here and I will bury you right so that you're not... You're not next to the. You're not buried for, for all eternity next to these cops. I'll I'll basically take care of you. And we're not shown that he does that, but we we believe that he does. He's good for his word because we see, over and over again, Henry is good to his word. If Henry says he'll do something, he'll do something. Now let's switch over a little bit and let's talk about maybe some of the emotional things or maybe some of the inner turmoil that some of these guys have, or if, if there is any kind of arcs and arcs can be good or arcs can be bad. you know, basically it can just, it represents a change. And realistically what we see is that the robbers don't change. And so earlier, I think I'd mentioned that we have certain people that from an emotional standpoint or from a character standpoint, they don't really change. Of course, Biscuit changes in that he's alive at first and then he's dead at the end. And we can say the same thing about Anthony and Ridgeman. But we see that, and, and Henry's position does change because he goes from being very poor but trying to take care of stuff to having a lot of wealth and meeting his obligations. He does not just throw money at his family and abandon them. He is there. He is going to take care of them. And he is especially going to take care of of his little brother. So if we if we say okay, well who who actually changed or was there any change? Is this a movie where everybody kind of stays the same? When we look at the cops, so when we look at Ridgeman and when we look at Anthony, we see that Anthony changes some because he he does decide to go and support Ridgeman. He, he decides to basically back up his friend's play. And we also see some stuff that with Anthony, when he goes in and he talks to uh, the guy at the jewelry store, you see that he has this realization that, oh, my life is kind of fine now, and I'm doing okay now, but with the money that I'm going to make, I'm not, I'm not really ever going to be fabulously wealthy. I might do okay. And then another thing, and this maybe is me sort of reading into the movie, but another thing I kind of thought, and and another thing that, that leads him or convinces him 
or in his mind maybe makes a justification for doing this is that I think he sees, oh, 15, 20 years from now, I can end up like Ridgeman. Where I live now is okay, but it might turn in to just a real shitbox where I'm trapped and I can't get out. And if I am married, are, are we stuck there? Maybe my wife has lost her job or maybe I've lost my job, you know, that type of thing. And so I think that does play in. And I think maybe, I don't know, maybe that's just something, again, like I said, I'm inferring. But I think that could be a valid, maybe, interpretation. And when we go back to Ridgeman and we, after these guys get suspended... You know, we start to see the groundwork being laid for why Ridgeman, after all these years, after 30 plus years of being a police officer, and for the most part, I would say probably being a guy that was not corrupt. Meaning, now in the movie, they say that he, again, through dialogue with Don Johnson, that he is becoming more and more sort of violent. He's losing his compassion. He's going to end up changing. And at first, I think I talked about this too uh, on the previous review, but at first I had kind of thought like, oh, this is just him in the street. But I actually, when I think about it more, I think what the lieutenant was trying to tell Ridgeman was, hey, this is going to spill over into your private life. It's not just going to be here. I think that's sort of the underlying message that he was trying to tell him. But Anyway, getting back, we see that we see that Ridgeman talks about how he doesn't want to politic. He's been out there sort of doing the same thing, and he doesn't change with the times. I think that's the conver- part of the conversations he has with Don Johnson or, or with the lieutenant, and maybe not. Maybe that's like like things are a little fuzzy, but maybe that's the conversation. I think that's a conversation. Actually, I'll take that back. I'm pretty sure that's the conversation that he has with Anthony when they're in the stakeout. And that's one of the things why, and you see that, again, this is becoming a change for uh, for Anthony. And we see, too, when Anthony first is told by Ridgeman, oh, we're going to knock off this guy. We're going to rob this guy. And I know I had mentioned it before, but he is, you, you can see it that he is incredulous. He's like, wait a minute you're going to now be a criminal. It's almost inconceivable to him. And you could, you can sort of see in his face. He's like, is this for real? Is this guy, you know, what is this guy? What is this guy doing? And you can see that, that Ridgeman, there are some conflicting emotions there where I'm sure at at some point he knows it's going to be a lot easier if he's got Anthony there with him. A guy that he's been with for several years is, has, been in a lot of uh, hard, dangerous situations where he's kn- where he knows this guy has his back and he knows I've got this guy's back. And they know, too, that they, and again, with the nutty dialogue, but they sort of, that notwithstanding, they sort of have, would have their own language, so to speak, in between one another just as partners. And so it, it is believable that eventually Anthony because of some of the other stuff we've seen is willing to do that because he's saying, well, if I can pull off this big score, I can put something aside later as a nest egg. And if things kind of go South, I'll at least have something. And also I'll be helping my friend and my partner 
and I'll be helping his family and I'll get them out of their craptastic neighborhood and the daughter won't have to, you know, and, and I'm sure Anthony knows all this stuff that's been happening with Ridgeman's daughter and he knows the situation with his, with his wife and all that other stuff. And I'm, I want to talk a little bit more about some of the maybe emotional journey of, of Ridgeman. But before I do that, let's, we'll, we'll take a real quick aside. And throughout the movie, you don't see Ridgeman really smile all that much. He's always kind of dour. He's always kind of grim. And part of that, again, is, is that the guy thinks, hey, I've spent 30 years doing this stuff. I didn't politic. I didn't, you know, play the game. And I'm sort of stuck where I have been for the last 20 years. And maybe I should have done that. Maybe I should have done something like that. And then my family wouldn't be in that situation that we're in. And he's, I think he sort of sees himself as, as failing his family a little bit. And you, I, I think about the only time that he wasn't kind of dour and kind of grim was when, and this is Ridgeman, when, was when he was with his daughter and they were sitting on the couch and they were watching some, you know, like Animal Kingdom show or something about little lions. And he's looking at his daughter and he looks at her with tenderness and he smiles. You know, she's watching the TV and he smiles at her. And you can tell he has some, some peaceful feelings, but then you can also tell that his resolve at that point is, is just getting more and more cemented of, okay, I got to do what I got to do. And he knows, again, his wife kind of knows that he's going to be up to something. Uh, and you do see that he has compassion for his wife, but it is, and it's not a burden, but he understands that he has responsibilities and because she can't work, at least she can't work right now, that he needs to sort of, he needs to step up and take care of business. And he re and he's realizing that he just hasn't done that. Or that the things that he's done and the decisions that he's made and the way he chose to have his career and the things that he chose not to do are all factors that have led them to be in the place where that, where that they're at. So having said all that, again, I think that we see that the people that kind of change or who move away from their code, we see that kind of uh, the cops, Ridgeman and Anthony, are changing. They're, they're deviating from their code. And we see that Biscuit and Henry are not. They are staying sort of true to the code that they have whether that code's good or bad as criminals, whether you say the code is good or bad as cops. Now, we also, another thing too, is they were saying that as cops, both these guys had had maybe excessive use of force type charges, but not tons and tons, but they had some. So that they were, you could say, oh, in some, in some ways they were bad cops. However, in the, in the, world of the movie or in the, I guess if that's the right term I'm trying to think of in the, in the, in the world of the movie though, they are not crooked cops. Maybe they kind of went overboard and I'm not saying, Oh, it's, that it was okay that they did, or it was super bad that they did. I'm just saying in the context of, of the movie, that's what I was looking for before. They may have gone overboard, but in their minds, 
what they were doing was justified. And then you, again, you could have debate about whether that's good or bad or whether that makes them good cops or bad cops or whether they should leave if they can't follow in the law. However, when they had opportunities where they could have been corrupt and where they could have taken money and nobody would have known, they didn't do it. They, from that standpoint, were not corrupt. And so I think it, it adds a lot of weight when these guys kind of deviate. And I guess, you know, maybe that's about all I wanted to say with that type of stuff. So I think I will maybe draw this to, uh, to a close. Oh, you know what? Before I do that, there is one other thing that I did want to talk about, and I don't think I had mentioned it. I, I think I had started to talk about it and then went down off and, and some other tangent road. And that is when Henry tells Biscuit, hey, get some extra guns and wrap them in cellophane. And later, Biscuit comes back and he has the guns and he gives them to him. And he's like, oh, they're in here. They're all wrapped in cellophane. Why do you want that? And he's like, well, we have that because sometimes people forget to wipe down guns or they will forget to wear gloves when they're doing this stuff, you know, when they're handling the firearms and doing all this other stuff. Later in the movie, Henry fires a gun that had been wrapped in cellophane. Now, it looked like they were kind of fully wrapped. It looked like it didn't look like it was just the grip. It looked like it was the grip. And these are semi-autos and the slide as well. So it looked like the whole thing was, uh, the whole gun was wrapped. And at one point, you see when Henry is approaching He's got the gun. He's already fired it several times, but you see kind of the cellophane is sort of peeled back from the firearm. And I was talking, oh, if you're a gun guy, you may have noticed this. You may have not have. But I think unless it was just one little layer of of cling film or cellophane, I think it probably would have, you might have gotten off one shot, maybe two, and then eventually that cellophane is going to foul. It may cause a, a failure or a malfunction and it can, it could cause a failure to eject, which is going to conjam it. It could, it could cause the, uh, the slide not to go back into battery. And, you know, I don't know if how much the director is a gun guy or if he just kind of thought in his head, Oh, this is a neat idea and it would make the gun, there would be no prints on it. So, you know, that, that type of thing, and of course, in movie world, you're dealing with props and you have everything set up the way that you want. And more and more, what's funny is a lot of times, just from a safety standpoint, they are using a lot of airsoft stuff. And then they will digitally, they'll go in and digitally, if they think about it, they'll maybe digitally add cases that are falling, the spent the spent case. or And most times they don't. And then that can be a little bit glaring in that when you're watching, you know, somebody shoot an AK or you're watching them shoot an AR or a Glock or, you know, whatever they're shooting and you don't see any cases and you, and sometimes the, the muzzle flash that they add, you're like, Oh, you know, that's, that's not the greatest thing ever. So anyway, that was one of the other points that I had about that. And, uh, I wanted to just sort of bring that up. So, I think I will bring this segment to a close and I guess maybe I'll use this uh, as the outro as well. So if you want to contact me and you wanted to talk about 
and this is hopefully the movie that I've done, you want to talk about Radius, and you had some points or things like that that you wanted to make. Like I said, I'm pretty sure I have that sort of in the can, and I think I've got, I don't know if I have it 100% edited, uh, so I may need to do a little bit of an intro, but anyway, if you have any uh, comments or questions about that stuff, go ahead and send that in, or if you wanted to make some points about Dragged Across Concrete, go ahead and send that in, or if you have other movies or anything like that, go ahead and, again, send that in. The place you want to send that in to is if you want to record your own audio or send an email, it's thearmedape at gmail. Excuse me, let me repeat that. Thearmedape at gmail.com. All one word. If you want to if you feel more comfortable just calling in, you can do the voicemail, which is area code 206 745 2731. 206 745 APE1. All right, my beautiful monkey friends. The old elegant ape, Uncle Silverback, we'll talk to you next time.